Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping wit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Duvall Nation, thank you for that amazing welcome and a huge thanks to Jeff Brown for that insane intro. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A huge welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back and have another great guest that I cannot wait for you to meet. Well, we've officially been going on this for a year. Yes, fans, a year ago, a little-known man named Derek decided to strike out on his own and create a talk show that would be an experiment in showcasing the human condition. We now have a legion of fans, a few thousand followers on Twitter, and we are now listened to in 29 countries, including, and I've been waiting for so long to say this, Germany. That's right, Duval Nation. The Germans are among us, and I cannot be more thrilled. To my new fans from the land of pets and thinkers, I say, Willkommen bei Duval Nation. Und die kannst kommen dies Abenteuer mantin fortzuhen, wutzen sie dies Frau Duval aus Deutschland kommt. I hope I did not butcher that, but alas, welcome to my German fans. Things that are going on with me. Mrs. Duvall and I had an absolutely amazing time in Hawaii, and I mean amazing. We hiked to the top of Diamond Head, which, if you happen to have seen me, you would be saying to yourself, who is that good-looking guy hyperventilating because his backpack was 30 pounds? But about three-fourths of the way up, I found my 17th wind, and we made it to the summit. Hell of a view. But yeah, Mrs. Duvall was true to her word, got me in the ocean. Was I having a panic attack after panic attack about the unseen dangers beneath the waves? Absolutely. But I ended up enjoying my time in the surf. Also, I went snorkeling and saw sea turtles that were really amazing. All in all, our Hawaiian vacation was incredibly relaxing, and after nine years together, it really cemented our appreciation for each other. Love you, babe. Music-wise, well, I have been listening to a lot of the 1980s fish era of Marillion, the fantastic prog rock band from England. Absolutely amazing music and has been a real helpful distraction as I've been going through a mm, pretty decent life event. I have finally left that goddamn awful job that I have been trapped in at for over a year. And just to paint a picture, do you remember that scene in the Shawshank Redemption where Andy Dufresne crawled through the pipe of shit and then stripped in the rain? Yeah, that's me in a very serious way. Glad to be moving on. I want to give a huge shout out to my last guest, Eric Ronington. I got the loveliest email from him a few days after the episode dropped, and he is just an incredibly nice man who had one hell of a story. I was honored that he chose to share his tale with me, and if you haven't listened 
through his tale of escape from the World Trade Center, I implore you to seek it out after you have listened to this episode. So here we are, episode 26. You come to me with the great question, Derek, who do you have lined up today for us to meet? Alas, I have a great guest in the form of Mrs. Katie Kinder, an old school friend of mine turned teacher, speaker, and author extraordinaire. She'll be coming on to talk about her new book, Untold Teaching Truths, from a teacher who has hashtag been there. She is amazing, has quite a lot to say, and believe me, I can't wait to read the book myself. So let's not stand on ceremony. Duval Nation, rise to your feet and welcome an old personal friend of mine, direct from Putnam City, Oklahoma, Katie Kinder. Katie, good afternoon. Welcome to my show. How has your week been so far? Hi, Derek Duvall. <laughs> um, it's been good. My week has been good. It's been busy. Uh, for teachers, August always feels like baptism by fire. It's really busy. So, But it's good. Before we get underway, I want to wish you a happy belated birthday. Welcome to your 40s. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, 40s feel like 39, and my knees hurt. But that, other than that, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm digging 40. Nice. The first question I ask is the same that encompasses the dire times we're living in. And that is, how has it been for you to navigate this crazy COVID-19 world we're living in? Um, it's been really it's been challenging. I think it's been challenging for probably everyone. As far as teaching, I left on March 13th for spring break, not realizing that was I wouldn't even get to say goodbye to my, my kids. Like I, It wasn't even in my thought pattern that I wouldn't get to say bye to them and so that was devastating to me we did not get to we did not get to complete the year we did not get to say goodbye and I I cried all the tears and then you know we went into that whole like underground thing where it was just your family and solitaire and cooking and going on walks but also I'm privileged enough to live in a home and and be able to get food and so I did go and get some food for some of my students and drop them off. I don't know. I worried a lot. Coming back last year was weird. We were on, we were in and out, in and out. And then this year, you know, we're all trying to get vaccinated or should be vaccinated. But there's some people who are have that deep seated belief that they're not going to get vaccinated. So we have this Delta variant that's going crazy in Oklahoma. And so we're back to weirdness. And it's sad. We're going to get into the classroom and the pandemics in a little bit, but I want to ask you first, we want to take it back, like Maria Von Trapp said, back to the very beginning. And uh, okay. where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Air, Oklahoma. Go Tigers. Nice. And uh, let me see. I did a little research today. I had to go into the old storage locker and find the yearbook. But uh, Student Council, Nana National Honor Society in your younger days. That's so oh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even though I was a punk in when I was growing up in Broken Arrow, I was like in and out of suspension and I got in fights and I was in in-house suspension a lot. Like I had like my own desk in there. Um, grades was never an issue. So yeah, it was kind of a conundrum. Like, And then student council and then, yeah, soccer. Soccer really kind of pulled me out of acting like a punk because... I had a coach that looked at me and told me I might be good enough to play in college. So what age did you decide to pursue a career in education? Oh, gosh. It's not traditional. Um, my mom is a rock star educator in the Tulsa area, and she was a principal, helped turn around a school. 
Um, then she became a superintendent in a small district outside of Tulsa. And growing up, I just was refusing to be an educator. And she kind of knew. She would look at me and say that she thought it was my calling. But I was like, no, I'm going to into public relations and I'm going to be a businesswoman. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I thought I'd sit at a fancy desk. And and uh, so I went into, I did event planning. I did public relations and it was okay. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, and I was working for the Musco Dystrophy Association and one of the national sponsors of uh, MDA is the National DECA chapters. And my best days were when I would drive and get to spend the day with my DECA students. And it took me a full two years before I called my mom and was like, you were right. Yeah. And so I went back. I got my alternative certification and I stepped into a classroom and I knew nothing. I never took a class. I never did any of that. Um, And so I just, they threw me in. And that's how I started in education. Um in a ninth grade English class. So that brings me to the next question. Why English? Well, it was the closest thing related to journalism. So I could mm. sit for any test after I passed journalism. So I passed the journalism test. This is how you get alternatively certified in Oklahoma. And then I passed the English test. And because there were a lot of English jobs and very few and far between journalism. And so I, and I remember liking English. My English teachers, for the most part, I really loved. And I loved the literature and I loved the stories and my heart would pitter pat when we were, you know, reading that literature. And I thought maybe I could do that for somebody else. That's, that's why English. Do you want to hear a funny, funny joke about me? Very, very funny joke. So yeah. I'm originally from Great Britain. I think that's pretty much mm-hmm. common knowledge from everybody. Do you know what my two worst subjects in high school were? I'm ready. Math and English. Right. It's usually one or the other. It's usually like you have a math science brain yeah. or you have an English history brain. I've got the, um, I've got the history brain. I don't have the science brain. So <laughs> so you're in a conundrum too then. Yeah, a little bit. I think my life is one <laughs> giant conundrum. So <laughs> but let, let me just say this now. You know, next question is, you know, education's come a long way since you and I were in a classroom. Sure. We are so old school. We remember Trapper Keepers and Oregon oh, yeah. Trail on the Apple II computer on in the school. Hundred percent. Yeah. Best day. Yeah. Yeah. So now kids today, tablets, you know, internet access in the palm of their hands. You know, and what mm-hmm. other ways do you think education has evolved over those years? Well, I mean, I I really that was kind of my journey when I started teaching. You know, in two thousand and six, I didn't know anything. So I started teaching the same way I was taught, which was straight rows and out of the book. And that's boring. Like That's really boring. And you think of some of, you know, the teachers that you've had, that I've had, um, some of them were amazing. And some of them sat and read the newspaper while we worked out of the book. And so, and that's when I would get in trouble because when I was bored, then I started acting foolish. And so I really started changing the way that I was teaching when I got a hold of People like Ron Clark, who, you know, if you know anything about the Ron Clark Academy, I mean, he is like on tables, walking around, teaching math. They're making up songs to learn math. And then I'm also a big fan of Dave Burgess. And he is the teach like a pirate guy. (laughs) And really, it's just all about, you know, we can't teach the way we did even 10 years ago. We have to continue to evolve. Like, 
we have to get them ready for, I mean, how often in your job are you working out of a book and writing answers down? Like, that's not a thing. Like, we have to give them like real life experiences. And I think that is on teachers, public education teachers. Like, I think that we, that's part of our job. So you don't ever miss chalkboards or overhead projectors? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think, I'm sure there are some teachers that are like, the technology is too much. I think it's about having balance there. Like, your school-issued iPad or whatever is not a babysitter. So they can't just sit there and play on their iPad all day and call it teaching. Um, and we've got plenty of teachers to do that. Um, uh, but you also, I mean, you have to have, super wicked strong procedures in place that they're not constantly on their phone and you know we just didn't have that like you think about how many notifications you get on your cell phone every day and these kids they're 12 13 14 years old their frontal cortex cannot handle the fact that their friend is snapchatting them in the other room mm -hmm. um, and so that that has to be locked down and um, so it i think it's kind of always evolving I'm so glad we don't have social media back when we were in school compared to how it was today. Hey, listen, listen, I wouldn't be a teacher. I would have been filmed doing something silly and I would be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a simple Google search online uh, shows you're a very outspoken teacher with several videos describing your love of teaching and, and methods. Do you feel that joy inspires your peers to reevaluate how they approach instructing students? I hope so. So I'm kind of half and half. So right this year, I am half an instructional coach for my building and school and half a writing teacher for students. Um, and I don't even call it writing because I, the kids get a block on that. Like I call it Miss Kindermania because why not? And it's more, it's like speaking and listening and I'm really excited about this fact that maybe I could have this model classroom. And if I can tell my baby teachers, that's what I call my, my new teachers that I uh, mentor, my baby teachers. My, I can tell my baby teachers to do X, Y, and Z, or I could have them come in and watch me do X, Y, and Z, right? And uh, that's really what I think an instructional coach in every building, they need one. They need to be able to go in and watch somebody mentor it. And so, yeah, so, so I guess there's a catch 22 because there, there are people who are pliable and they want to learn and they want to get better and they, and they do, and they, and then there are people who don't and they don't want help and they don't want to get better. And I, that breaks my heart, but I really try to focus on the people who want to get better. So how long have you been teaching at the school you're currently at? Well, I've been in this district for, I mean, I started in this district back in 2006. Um, That's Putnam Oklahoma, City you're in Oklahoma City, right? No, I'm in Putnam City. It's, Putnam um, City. it's in Oklahoma City. Like, it's not an actual city. <laughs> it's oh, weird. Right. Um, it's in Oklahoma City. Kind of like Union. Like, <laughs> broke, yeah. Okay. I live in um, Union. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I work in Putnam City. I started there. I went to another district that I didn't love. It just wasn't, they weren't my people. And so I came back to Putnam and I worked at Kenneth Cooper Middle School for five, six years. And then I got hired as the instructional coach 
And now I'm at my current school going on two years. In all of your years of teaching now, what has been the one mountain that you have found the most difficult to climb? I mean, I think that it's very systemically broken in public education. And if you die on every hill, you will burn out. I mean, we lose 40 to 50% of our new teachers in the first five years. And they will say it is because of burnout because they try to do all of it all the time, thousand percent effort, and you just can't, you're a human being. And so I picked three hills to die on. And that is classroom engagement, classroom safety, making, uh, loving my kids that are in front of me, making sure that my lessons are on point, that I am getting them ready and that they feel loved moving forward. And those are my three hills. Everything else is noise to me. Um, classroom management is, is really important. And so I think, I think teachers get they kind of get burned out on like, okay, the state department says you have to fill out this form, this form, and this form, and then they're going to change it next year. And then we're going to have an evaluation system. And then we're going to change that next year. And then we have to learn this. And then there's this, and then there are, you know, there are teacher bullies in every building. And so they're going to do this or they're, I don't know. And I think that, you know, if you can get caught up in that, you're going to burn out. Okay, Duval Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break, give you a chance to refresh that drink, stand up, stretch, and do some of those deep breathing exercises. Yep, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Listen to the promos for two friends of the show, and we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Zach. It's Josh. Zach, do you enjoy video games, drinking, and attempting to solve the world's problems through ridiculous schemes? Uh, yeah. Do you think others would enjoy that? I mean, I really hope so. So do I. So I think you all should come spend some time with us, the Midwest Meltdown. This show was created by these two fine gentlemen here, myself and Zach, when we spent the last 14 years telling each other funny stories, talking about video games, and literally anything else that comes to mind. We wanted to turn our passion for gaming into something that we could share with everyone. So again, follow us, The Midwest Meltdown, anywhere you can find your podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, Google Pods. Check us out. We'd be happy to have you. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the Derek Duvall Show in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of your application. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the Toasty! My Work Life Podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing. Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers. Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. 
Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Welcome back, Yuval Nation. Let's jump right back into it with the conclusion of our interview with my old friend, Katie Kinder. You mentioned burnout. Now, in 2018, a 10-day strike by Oklahoma teachers happened with protests over poor pay, overcrowded classrooms, and the constant tax cuts that were affecting Oklahoma education. What do you remember from that strike, and what did you think of the result? I, <laughs> I'm mixed. I was proud of our teachers. We went out to the Capitol. We spent all day there. We, um, and then I was mixed in that, like, what is best for our kids? Not to be home for 10 days. <laughs> like, it's not. And I was proud of them. I'm proud of the advocacy that our teachers um, were there. And they were trying to talk to uh, different congressmen and women and trying to really make a difference. Did we get everything we wanted? No. Are our desks still broken? Yes. Uh, do we have enough funding for pencils and supplies? No. Um, so I don't know. I Right now we have a governor who is hmm. not really a fan of public education. He's already been privatizing it. And I think that that is going to change. And I think that when we get somebody new in there that it'll be better you know it's funny when i came from great britain i moved to america in 1990 and i'd already done i was already you know much older than the other kids because of just the way the system worked and i remember when we came over here um, in britain where i come from all the books and the pencils and the crayons and all that on the mag and the markers and stuff like that are all provided for by the government they're, they're paid for every classroom is stocked Anyway, we come to America and we're getting ready to go. My first year was in Jinx. Not many people know that about me, but I went to Jinx. My oh, year. I didn't know that. And um, only for one year. And uh, we got there and they're like, they gave us a list of all the supplies that you'll need for the year. And my mother was like, I, I don't understand. Oh, she goes, right. why, why, am I, why am I buying this? And they're like, this, you have to provide your own supplies here. And um, there's a very funny story I'll tell if, if, if you're right for a minute. But uh, I yeah. remember it was, a, it was a culture shock. And uh, sure. especially also the words, um, the words, <laughs> it's a great story in our family. Different words in Britain mean different words in America. And in Britain, we erasers, like er, you know, erasers, we call them rubbers. Like, you, you know, rub it away. Oh, and right, so right. My, my mother went to Walmart one time asking for two number two pencils with rubbers on the end. And the stock <laughs> clerk was like, uh, huh, like this. And it took my mother about... <laughs> five minutes of explaining what she wanted before he said oh you want erasers on the end he's like who are, who are these for she goes my sons and she goes well how old are they <laughs> 10 and 8 you know so yeah it was, it's you a great ready for the world yeah i buy uh my, my mother never went back to that walmart ever again so 
but uh, yeah, that's a great story. I always love that. I always love telling that one. But uh, yeah, I re- I remember it was a culture shock when we came over here. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that's really it's such a difference between um, public school in America and some systems elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you think about, okay, in 1990, your mom got you pencils with rubbers. <laughs> and yeah, I love it. You, yeah. And, but there, of course, there were kids then, and I think even more now, who they can't afford to do that. Yeah. And they, so you've got kids that ha- are the haves, and you've got the kids that are the have nots. And so, you know, right out the gate where, you know, it's embarrassing that if somebody says, well, get out your, your supplies and, and they don't have any. Yeah. Um, so that's upsetting. So any like teachers, we just spend our own money, but I have a super close teacher friend who's a single mom and she is, she's a master's degree. She's one of the smartest people that I know, but she lives in a one bedroom apartment with her kids because she can't afford to do anything else. And that's insane. Yeah, that is um, insane. And you think about, and they're like, well, you get summers off or you get this. I'm going to say something super controversial. I think we need to get rid of tenure. I don't think that you should be able to teach for two years, get tenure, sit on your ass for 30. Like, that's not. And I think, like, can you imagine, like, the rock star teachers being courted by other districts, like, you know, LeBron James? Like, hey, you know, we'll pay you this if you come over here. Um, I just think that the quality of your work should reflect in your paycheck. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to make that happen, right? But I, I have a dream that that maybe could happen one day. See, well, like other other nations in the world that I know, uh, some of them go like you know, year round. They don't have summer breaks. They don't have fall breaks. And yeah, so that's that, actually and, smart. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, that was another thing where we came over here. Like, we get ten weeks off in the summer. Why? You know, we. Like, when are my kids supposed to go back to school, you know? Um, that was the thing, like, especially, and one other thing, too, that bothers me about American education is that you start the first day of school on a Thursday, you know? And then it's like, well, why are we only going for two days and then a weekend again? And it just those are things that people just get baffled at when they come over here and hear these things. But, yeah, I mean, well, I kind of understand the Thursday thing just because it's like, again, if we didn't have summer yeah. and it would, it wouldn't be baptism by fire, right? Like it right. would be like just every, um, that kids are exhausted, teachers are exhausted because they've had a summer. And really year round school is deceiving because if you say year round school, you got like half the population is going to quit. Um, you're in this, you're in school, the kind of the same amount of days, mm-hmm. but you just have breaks that are like, you know, a little bit of break in the fall and a little bit of break at, you know, winter. And then you have a little bit of, Spring and then you've got um and it's it is insane because the reason we have summer is because you know the kids used to have to help till the land <laughs> i mean it's, uh, and we're, not, we're not tilling the, we're not tilling the land anymore so my question is this now and i've just thought this off the top of my head what should they be teaching in schools now that they weren't teaching back when we were in school together i think derek that we have to teach our kids that, you know, why are we teaching some kids how to write a five paragraph essay when they should be going into a trade? We need trades. We shouldn't be shaming kids for wanting to work on cars or build cabinets or be a plumber. Like 
we need traits. And so I don't, I just don't like that we are shaming some of our kids into going to college when sometimes they need to go to trade school. Um, I also think, and I think college is great. I had a great time at college and got my degree. And, and I think that's a great track for some of our kids to be on. Um, I think our kids need to know how to balance a checkbook. Like, why are we, why are we doing geometry? Financial um, management. Can, I'm, I'm a big one that should be teaching financial management in school. A hundred percent. Or like here, you know, doing projects of like, this is how much money you make as a blah, blah, blah in Oklahoma. And this is how much, you know, apartment is. This is how much a car is. This is how, like, they don't know, you know, we need to be teaching our kids how to cook and how to, and there are classes like that. We have our family and consumer science uh, class that really help with that. Um, but yeah, I just don't think some of the classes are, I think some of them are obsolete. And I just don't think we ever need to be doing anything because we've always done it that way. I hate that phrase. Oh, I hate that phrase. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've always done it that way. Well, no. Why? So I think all of that needs to change. I, as a writing teacher, as an English teacher, yes, I delved into the literature and we looked at the, because I have to follow the state standards because then they're tested on it mm-hmm. and they have this high stakes testing, which their driver's license is attached to. And like, you know, they can lose an elective the next year. And so it does matter to them. It does matter to their lives. So, you know, we're looking at data, but just because we're looking at data and doing this, high stakes testing thing doesn't mean that our lessons can't be chocked full of life lessons. Um, like I teach my, actually I'm doing it tomorrow. I teach my kids how to do a Socratic seminar and I call it boardroom and my room is set up like a boardroom and I teach them to talk without having to raise their hand and have, you know, I respectfully disagree with you. They come to us not knowing how to talk. That's part of our, that's part of our job, I think. And they, they'll fly off at the handle and be mad at someone and they can't say a 12 year old can't look at you and say I feel marginalized I am feeling angry about that and I need some help like no a 12 year old shoves the desk over and slams the door Mm. and so we we teach them to talk and say I respectfully disagree with you and this is why and this is what I think and I take your point and I'm doing my first one of the year tomorrow and I'm really excited. My thing is also like where I work at, we're getting a lot of these kids that are coming right out of high school. I mean, some of them have never, you know, don't even know how the world works yet. And every right. now and again, with me being a history nuts and I know pretty much everything there is to know about America, which is sad because I'm not from here. And um, one of the things is like kids today, like they barely even know what 9-11 is. They barely know World War II yep. is. And it, it yeah. just, my head just goes, because I just can't seem to understand like what, what the bloody hell are they teaching them, you know, in, in terms of current events. And- right. I mean, that is true. And I, and I say that in my book that th- what happens in our world is the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Chadwick Boseman died, that, that meant so much to my kids. Like mm-hmm. I, they need, they needed a space when Kobe Bryant died, you know, was he a perfect man? No, but he meant a lot to my students. So we made space. You have to know when to scrap a lesson. Um, you have to know. Um, and of course, my brother was in 9-11. He was in Tower 2. Uh, I was in college when that happened. And so really? I don't ever. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, he's a minister now in Tulsa at Forest Park Christian Church. Holla. 
<laughs> um, and he is, you know, he does really great things in the community. They have a presence at Pride. They, um, you know, he sits on a, you know, Black Lives Matter committee in Tulsa, and he's constantly talking about bringing the kingdom of God into the here and now. And uh, he just posted a a big sermon debunking every scripture that people use to harm the LGBTQ community. It's quite, um, it's quite wonderful. So anyways, there's his plug, but he was, yeah, he was in tower too. He got out. Um, and one of the only reasons he got out is because he like left floor 78 to go get breakfast. Like chocolate donuts and ho-hos and like M&Ms end up saving his life and uh yeah he ended up getting out uh moving on uh this is the part I was kind of looking forward to talking about and that is the COVID-19 pandemic revealed that not all heroes wear capes and teachers were forced practically overnight to reinvent how to teach virtually how did you adapt and what do you remember from that extremely difficult time it was hard. I mean, teachers kind of hold the weight of the world sometimes. Like, we're going to be heroes one day, and then the next, we're the reason that society is falling down, and then the next, we're heroes, and then, you know, the next, we're in trouble because whatever happened. Like, I, it just, it's really hard to, on mental health, to be a teacher, um, and I think focusing in on your kids. So, I think that back and forth in and out of school, you know, they would, they come up with like little fancy words, like we can go from brick to click, but I mean, it wasn't that easy, right? Like mm-hmm. having to teach online, having to do that, knowing that you're not as effective as you are in person, but also trying to keep your family safe. Like it, it was really hard. Uh, and I think what was amazing is that our teachers the ones who did it right, they were able to like redefine themselves in a manner of months to try to reach kids. And they're doing it in a mask, they're doing it online, they're doing like all the things that they need to do. They're doing it because they got into it. Of course, they didn't get into it for the money, but they got into it because they love kids and they want to make a difference and change lives. And so they were up for it. So which brings me to my next point. Uh, Your new book, Untold Truths, from a teacher who has hashtag been there. Great title, by the way. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. (laughs) What was the inspiration to sit down and put this little project together? You know, I have had chapters for years. So I've just, I've learned from the best. I can't do what I do without my teacher tribe. And there's just these little like idiosyncrasies and things that happen in the school building and happen in in the school culture and in a classroom and that people just, they don't tell you in your education classes. And uh, I, it's part strategy, part memoir. I opened the book up with how I was suspended. (laughs) Um, I crawled out of a window in um, eighth grade history because I asked the teacher every day if I could go use the restroom. And I knew if I said, well, it's a girl thing. And, you know, by April, he realized that I wasn't on my period every day of the year. Um, (laughs) And he told me to sit back down and, and I, and he was reading the newspaper and we were popcorn reading, which is a horrible practice. And I opened the window and I crawled out and I got suspended. Um, And I tell that story just like, 
and paybacks are hell, right? Like I became a teacher and I need to apologize to all my teachers. Um, but I, I just want what's best for kids. Like what are, let's relentlessly do what is best for kids, whatever that means. Um, are we teaching them to talk? Are we teaching them financial literacy? Are we teaching them how to function? Um, we're looking at a lot of trauma coming back from COVID and, you know, social emotional learning. How are we doing that? And how do we sustain that inside of a system that's broken? And um, so I think really COVID allowed me to really start putting my chapters together and write because, you know, people organized their homes and went for walks and I wrote. Um, and so it's a, it's a quick read. It's about, you know, 170 pages, something like that. Um, but it's got strategy in there. It's got stories in there. Everything that I wish I would have known uh, when I walked in. So what kind of feedback have you received from those who have read it? I, no one's read it yet. Oh. <laughs> that, that's not true. It doesn't release until October. Oh, um, I didn't so know if you let like, close friends read it or something like that. Well, I just got a box today where I'm going to do a soft release. Mm-hmm. I have let close friends read it. Of course, my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a editor named Lisa who uh, is, was also a rock star teacher. And so she's, of course, read it. And um, some close friends have read it, my best friend. So I've gotten some really good feedback. Um, they've pushed back on me a little bit on some of the things and they fully embraced other things. And so they helped me kind of craft it. But yeah, I just got a box today that I'm going to kind of get out there for a soft release. You say soft release. Are you planning like a signing or a book tour? I don't know. That sounds like I should do that. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm I started speaking at conferences. That's really what came about as well. Like I would go speak at conferences about engagement strategies and social emotional learning and all of these things. And I would, my attendees would get in line to talk to me and they would ask me if I had a book and I did not. (laughs) And so that's really, I mean, I, I wrote it so I could sell it at conferences and that's really what I want to do. And as my next chapter is like, get this message out to the world. Like we can, we can do hard things. We can be better. We can um, get it out there and we can relentlessly do what's best for kids. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. And it's funny and spicy and, and quirky. And I think everybody will really like it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, good. <laughs> so before we get into the final question, I always like to have one fun question. And this one it throws everybody off. Okay. So this is a fun one. And I already okay. know, I already know the answer ahead of time, but I want you to tell it again. And it, the answer, the question is this. Tell us again how you felt about the ending of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, Game of Thrones. I just, they did Khaleesi dirty. I just believe, I don't think, I didn't think that she followed her right arc. Okay. And um, I have a, you know, soft, place in my heart for her because the mother of dragons because people have told me I look like her I mean let's be honest I'm chubbier than her and shorter than her um but some like the the old chubby version of the mother of dragons um but yeah it just felt rushed it felt I don't know I have hopes that we're going to come back to it I'd love to see what Aria is up to and um I did love that scene I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts but um so yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. I feel meh about it. 
I think I think a millions out there join you too in burning, yeah. burning that last season in effigy. So, but yes. uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just I I I I asked you last year or year before last, and I was like, it always stuck with me. I'm like, I gotta ask you that again on the public air. So, <laughs> all right. So, like I said before, I am my interviews with my all-time favorite question, and that question is this: If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? The people of Earth. Um, you know, we get this one messy, beautiful life that we get to live. And why don't you metaphorically drop that mic every day? I know it's hard, but but follow the dreams. Like at 40, I'm following this dream of being able to speak and, you know, author this book and maybe more to come. Uh, and I'm showing my own kids that, you know, that is important. Uh, take the trip, whatever that means for you, take the trip, go to the places you want to go to, because be kind. <laughs> um, we get this one life. And so don't sit on your ass all day. Do, do something with it. Um, and that is my, that's my message. Nice. All right. Can you tell my fans where best to find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Kinder one, and you can find me on Instagram at untold teaching truth. Um, the book is available for pre-order on Amazon. It's also on my publisher site, book baby. Um, and I'm looking forward to the journey. October 8th. It's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a banner day for you. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> Katie, it's been a very long time, and I am so glad you're doing so well, and this has been great. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been fun, and uh, maybe we can do it again. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of Episode 26 of The Derek Duval Show. I want to thank Katie for taking the time out of her very busy schedule to come on the show and spend some time with us. I hope you all seek out her book, and we will have links to pre-order it on our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. So what do we have coming up? Man, I'd love to tell you, but the good thing is we have so many interviews recorded that our episodes are booked and planned out to the end of December. And considering we've only been doing this for a year, that is completely amazing. So on behalf of everyone here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say be well, be safe. And for the love of all things holy, get the fucking vaccine. People are dying every day because they refuse to. Don't be a fool. Get the shot. Even if you end up with COVID, it will save your life. Oh, I swear. Nosda, God bless, and see you soon, planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.